guys. You're listening to Metal Matter, a weekly geeky radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. I'd like to thank all the new listeners out there. It appears that we're reaching people, and that makes me quite happy, because I really enjoy doing this, and it's a lot of fun, and I'm glad that people are appreciating This week's episode is a classic records episode. Randy and I get into Rollins Band's Hard Volume, the second LP by the Rollins Band. This is a companion piece of sorts to the Black Flag In My Head episode I did with Anthony Pappalardo a few episodes back. I feel like the roots of the Rollins Band started on that final Black Flag tour. So, I don't know, there's a little bit of uh, synchronicity here, and uh, we had a lot of fun talking about this record. I think if you're not familiar with this early period of the Rollins Band, you should definitely check it out. If you dig the show, please share it with your friends. Tell your friends about it, put it on social media, spray paint it on the walls of your neighborhood. And uh, yeah, we're looking to grow this thing, keep this thing rolling. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Michael underscore DC underscore Hill. On Facebook, Michael Hill. The true irony of this is that the only person in my entire life who calls me Michael is my mom. A few months back, I did an episode with Anthony Papalardo on the uh, Black Flag record "In My Head." So this is kind of a companion piece to that. You know, you know Anthony, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, known him for a long time. Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. Um, because in some ways, the roots of the Rollins Band sort of started in that final Black Flag tour with uh, Black Flag, Gone, and Painted Willie, because Andrew Weiss. And Sim Kane were in Gone with Greg Gint. So I'm led to believe that the groundwork for the Rollins band may have been started on that tour. Yeah, that makes sense. I think those guys have alluded to that, you know, before that that's where the seeds were planted. I also have another theory that maybe the root of Greg Ginn's sort of um problem with everyone, with the world in general, and Henry Rollins and ex band members is maybe he might have stolen his rhythm section and gone on to uh, fame and fortune with the Rollins Band. Do you think there's a possibility of that being the case? Yeah, sure. I think that's a possibility. I also <laughs> think he can just get over it, you know. Some people just hold on to stuff, I guess, though. Yeah, I mean, we're not. this isn't a Greg Ginn or a Black Flag episode, but I'll just put say this. Since those guys left, gone, and they formed the Rollins Band, I like everything they've done moving forward. You know, at least for years after. Ginn, on the other hand, after the second Gone record, I can't say there's one piece of music he's ever made since then that I really back or enjoyed. You know, I mean, I tried to fool myself all those years too, all through the '90s, because uh, I had such a, I was at such reverence for Greg Ginn and Black Flag and SST Records and just the overall work ethic that Tukowski and Greg Ginn and Rollins put forth. You know, that stuff was like very much. Um, an influence on me personally and creatively and just the way I go about doing things. But I did fool myself into thinking that those Gin and Gone records and all this other stuff he did after Black Flag was good. And I, I went back to try to listen to it, and a lot of it is pretty unlistenable, really. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I, I have to. I've gone back to the years and 
checked out some of it and revisited some of it. Not a fan. And we're not even going to talk about the quote-unquote Black Flag reunion that both of you and I checked out live. We're not even going to get into that. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> we're going to forget all about it. <laughs> Good idea. So Hard Volume by the Rollins Band. That's the second LP by the Rollins Band. You know, I mean, there were, there were records prior to that, but that technically was Henry Rollins. You know, Henry Rollins and the right. wife-beating child haters, things like that. You know what I mean? Hot Animal Machine. Hot Animal Machine, like that kind of stuff. It was like almost like solo records, like sort of attempts at doing his own thing before he solidified this band. And, um, you know, the, this is a classic lineup. It's got Andrew Weiss, all about that bass, as oh, they yeah. credited him with. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chris Haskin on guitar, Sim Kane on drums and Henry Rollins on vocals. Also, Teo Van Rock, always credited on every record, their live sound engineer and producer on most a lot of their material. He's also the producer. Yes. And um, a fun fact about Teo Van Rock, his God-given Jesus name is Theodore P.M. Van Eerbergen. A, Dutch, a Dutchman, obviously. <laughs> I understand why they may have shortened that and simplified it. Yeah. Uh, Hard Volume was, was produced by Teo, engineered by Ray DeLeo, recorded July through December 1988. The original record label was Texas Hotel, but that record has um, you know, since been re-released and uh, you know, repackaged in a couple of different ways, uh, one of which is uh, <clears throat> the uh, 213.61 imprint that Rollins ran. And that version is a little bit different than the original version. Yeah, isn't there also another CD reissue that came out on a label called Buddha at one point? Yeah, that I'm trying to determine what that actually was because there was concurrently in 1999 that record came out. There's like the Buddha record and then the 213 reissue of it seemed to come out right around the same time. So I'm not exactly sure what what that's all about. Yeah, me neither. I'm not sure. But I'd like to focus primarily on the original version. Of course, we could, you know, mention these uh, reissues and stuff. But the original version, uh, the LP, is 39 minutes and 3 seconds. The LP on the Mitch Burry side features Hard, What Have I Got, I Feel Like This, and Planet Joe. And then the Joe Cole side has Love Song, Turn Inside Out, and Down and Away. Now, the CD version of this record has a 34-minute uh, and 3-second cover, live cover version of Move Right In by the Velvet Underground. But this jam has been titled Joyriding with Frank. Yes. And uh, you, were, you were listening to that when I came over today. <clears throat> yeah, because I wasn't, I mean, I'm familiar with them covering that song, but I, uh, it's been a long time since I heard this uh, massive... 30 something minute version of it because um, I don't have this CD with that on it really yeah um, it's pretty it's pretty awesome I mean it's worth it just to, to listen to Weiss go like bananas on the bass dude <laughs> that song goes to a lot of wonderful places in my opinion yeah usually in heavy music I'm not a fan of slap bass uh, you know has its place in funk and R&B and stuff like that which I enjoy but he, he just goes nuts uh, through the whole song, there's plenty of slap bass in there, but just his uh, every his bass playing through the whole song is tone too, which is always great. 
But uh, it's just like 30-something minutes of him just going insane. It's great. Now, something cool about that song is um, Joy Riding with Frank is a reference to Blue Velvet. Fuck, I, I never realized yeah, that. You know what? Because when, when the song kicks off, Rollins goes, this is it. And uh, Dennis Hopper as Frank Booth, when they, when they take um, Jeffrey, tr- played by uh, you know Kyle McLaughlin. Yes. You know when when uh, Frank Booth walks on him and Isabel Rossellini, there's that intense scene where he's like staring him down, and he's like, "Oh yeah, man, you're gonna come to Pussy Heaven with us." And they jump in the car and they go, <laughs> you know, careering out into the night, you know. Right. And right. they finally get to that sketchy uh, club that they take him to. Yeah. And Frank Booth goes, "This." Is it? Hence the title, Joyriding with Frank. God damn! I never even connected those dots. It makes sense to me now. Yeah, you know, it's um, I I love that shit, man. I love when it's like, you know, it all sort of comes together sometimes. You know what I mean? When when you love a band and you love like an artist so much, and then you realize they're into a lot of the same shit that you're into, and like, you know, Rollins was in uh, David Lynch. He was in uh, The Lost Highway. Right. Had that bit part as the prison guard. Right. Yeah, so I don't know. There's like a cool like synchronicity with a lot of this stuff. I don't know if you mentioned it too. That is not. I mean, that track was recorded live in 1988 in on tour in Linz, Austria. That's not a you know 30 something minute studio jam. It's a live jam, which makes it that much more intense. I think. Yeah, the Rollins band, unlike a lot of contemporary bands, and I don't mean this in any way disrespecting anyone. In a, in a lot of ways, they're the bridge between 70s rock and like modern like heavy rock, heavy metal kind of stuff, in my opinion, because, you know, you would listen to um, live versions of songs that Led Zeppelin does, right? You listen to some Sabbath live recordings, you listen to Thin Lizzy live, and it's like a band playing live. It's like just loose enough to give it this like vibe, but you can tell that the, the songs are have been played an infinite number of times and it's completely this like tight musical expression and that you know you listen to Zeppelin on the song remains the same and there's like these explorations that they go into these like collages of musical expression that the band goes into during their during that show and I feel like the Rollins band is good like that you know what I mean it's what I love about it. And it's funny you mention uh, Zeppelin's, and especially The Song Remains the Same. I just watched The Song Remains the Same for the first time in forever. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned Zeppelin uh, in particular because I was going to say the Rollins band, especially those early days, it was a heavy, heavy blues oh, yeah. influence, but a rock b- blues influence. They're one of the only bands, I feel, that that did blues in heavy music after the 70s the right way you know what i mean yeah i mean this is one few, of the only few of the bands i could point to like say i hate god or something they're yeah. very bluesy uh you know in a sabbathy kind of way laughing hyenas of course yo yeah yeah especially the last hyenas record um but yeah man the the live uh versions and the Rollins band did put out a lot of live recordings and bonus tracks and stuff like that but they're just so powerful live man i yeah, you're right. Not not dissing anybody that exists today, but I feel like that's kind of an element that's gone. Well, also, I feel like the fact that they have so much live material out there. I mean, there's you know, turned on. There's like live albums that they put out. A few, yeah. Yeah, it's like a it's like a fuck you to their contemporaries in a lot of ways. You right. know, it's like I, I don't want to hear 
there's a lot of bands that I don't want to hear live recordings of, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm in a band that I don't want to hear a live recording of because it sucks live. You know, the listen back to some set you played, you can hear all the fucking mistakes you made and everything. Fuck, dude. I never want to hear live recordings of yeah. shit I do. But, um, like, you know, going back to the Rollins band, that's a band that can do that. They can pull that off. And for those of you out there who don't play music or aren't, in, you know, don't play instruments, it's it's harder to do that than you think, man. Because when you're in a studio, you're like, you know, you're doing punches, you're you're redoing things. You have you know a lot of different shots at playing the part live, part right. That is, but live you get one take. That's it. Boom, it's done. Right. And you know the looseness that they have, but also the competency at their instruments is allow allows that band to record something live. And then put it out there for people to listen to and to have confidence in it. You know, we've come across this. We've done a lot of uh, talking uh, about Rollins Band, Black Flag, through some of these episodes we've done through the years. And there's always this backlash of people who don't like Rollins. They don't like him in Black Flag. They don't like the Rollins Band for whatever reason. But, you know, so maybe if you're one of those people, you happen to be listening to this because you're bored at work or something, go back on YouTube and Find some of those Rollins Band live shows from 87, 88, and just give it another shot because that band was a machine, absolute machine. Oh, yeah, totally. Another thing that I uncovered during research for this episode was one of the sides on the LP is the Mitch Burry side, okay? Now, for any of you out there who have been reading you know, Henry Rollins's writing, looking on the backs of you know liner notes of records you'll notice that there's always a credit a thank you to mitch burry of adam's mass yep and for all this time i've been wondering who the fuck this guy is <laughs> <laughs> so i read an interview with dave markey who did a film called reality 86th which covered the final black flag tour and um it was like you know well, there's a whole other story behind that too but for, we're going to stick to the topic for a second. In the interview, they identify Mitch Burry as the Black Flag tour manager whose family lived in Adams, Mass. Hence, Mitch Burry of Adams, Mass. Did you know that? Um, I knew he had ended up working for Black Flag in some capacity at some point, but no, I, I didn't know he tour managed the final tour. Uh, but I I've, have noticed through the years and all these books and records and stuff, Rollins always thanks him. Apparently, he was a sick guy. Like, he was totally cool. Like, everyone loved him. That's, yeah. that's why I guess he's thanked on <laughs> all these records. He must have been a great guy because, like, it's, it's really noticeable, like, that he's thanked, you know? It doesn't hide in some thanks list somewhere. Sometimes there's a whole page yeah. that just says, uh, this is the book is dedicated to Mitch Burry from Adam's Mass. Real quick about Dave Markey. He, um, he made that film. He was also the drummer and singer in a band called Painted Willie that was on that final tour. Yep. And I, and I haven't kept up on Dave Markey's career, but I think he's you know produced videos. And he has. He's an interesting guy. Yeah, he's yeah. done a lot of stuff. Yeah. Another thing of note about the hard volume record is the uh, photography done by Yvonne Bauman, uh, the black and white black and white live shots, and uh, it's on this record. It's on Turned On. It's on a different you know reissue, and I feel like that stark black and white photography. Uh, really captures the vibe of the band in a lot of ways. You know, you think of those first few records, black and white, just straight up, like, this, like, 
you know, very uh, austere look to those early records, you know, Lifetime, Hard Volume, right? you know, the, the Turned On Live record, you know. Uh, I totally agree, man. Like, to me, those re- to see different art on that record or those early records wouldn't make any sense. Like, the art makes sense when you listen to it. And for as, like, bluesy and soulful as they can be, they can also be absolutely cold. Uh, at times, even, I get a feeling of early swans. Yeah. Especially on this record. Yeah, with like the you know, the longer songs and just the pummeling drums and the repetitive riffs. Um, it's like old swans meets Led Zeppelin. You know, it's funny when you think about as a young man when I was in, in the eighties when these records were coming out, uh, I just assumed Rollins band were like a hardcore band or like a hardcore punk band or whatever. But they really transcend classification, I think, in a lot of ways. Like they were a band emerging from that scene but were sort of, you know, sloughing off the trappings and the sort of limitations of hardcore punk and even metal, just kind of creating, like, their own sort of sound. Definitely. And uh, and I think that the austere look to the early records, the very uh, raw budget production on those early records, and, um, you know, the, the, the laconic, like, vocal patterns and just created this very efficient, direct-to-the-point, mainline kind of statement that that band, I think, is became known for. Yeah, absolutely. You totally know, and especially agree. in that early period. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, and they even maintained that, I think, even throughout the major label era of the band. Like, once they got signed and put out, like, um, End of Silence, you know, that just had, like, that ver- that stuff, but, like, with a bigger production. Right. You know. And for those of you out there who do like Henry Rollins... <laughs> I urge you to listen to his podcast. Yes. Which is doesn't come out very it's not a regular thing. It comes out sporadically. Uh, but he talks about making the records, you know, playing Lollapalooza, like making heart, you know, uh End of Silence, you know, things like that. And you get like his his vision, his viewport into that world. Yeah. And I find it pretty fascinating. He even talks about David Lynch. Yes, he does. Yeah. He goes in deep on a lot of these records. Like this episode is about making specific records, and uh, you know he knows the shit that it's possible for us to know. So those are a great listen. I can't stop thinking about the Reality eighty sixth movie because I I watched that this past week. You know, and even though it's got nothing, to, you know, it's peripherally related to this. Right. Dave Markey was saying that um, when he filmed that. He wanted to, first person he approached was Greg Gannon and SST Records. You know, it made sense, right? They're on the tour. Painted Willie was on the label. Right. He documented what became the final Black Flag tour. So he approached Greg, well aware, fully knowing that if Greg agreed to release it, he would never see a single cent for his efforts. That's just how Greg Gannon and SST rolled, I guess. Oh, yeah. You know I, mean? I never heard that. Yeah. So, um... Greg and Dave Markey watched the film in its entirety, whatever edit, whatever cut he had available. Okay. After they watched the the movie, they jammed together for hours, and that was the last time Dave Markey ever saw Greg Ginn. A few days later, he called him up on the phone, and he says, if that movie comes out, I'm going to stop you. (laughs) He's going to fucking stop him. Uh, I wonder what what that was based on. Like, what what was he so against? I don't know, man. I mean, 
no one's ever going to know the true story of that band or the, the mach- machinations of what went on with Greg Ginn until he's dead, I think. Yeah, even then, man. I mean, yeah, the whole Greg Ginn saga, man. It's yeah. Fucking, it's something else. I mean, the tr- the real story behind that guy is never going to come out until that guy's dead and gone, and the people are going to be like, well, you know, I'll speak freely now, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, El Duce, Greg Ginn, you know, coming after me. Right. Know? Well, it's, it's fine. I, uh... I communicate, you know, through the, the internet. I don't know if you've ever heard of the internet. Yeah. I communicate with uh, this guy, Brant Palco, who does a podcast called uh, You Don't Know Mojack, which we've talked about before. Yeah. It's based going through the SST Records catalog, one through infinity. And uh, he's had Dave Markey on. They've talked about, you know, a lot of these records we talk about. And uh, I guess the Reality 86 thing was obviously never officially released. But it pops up on YouTube. It's still on YouTube. Right. Well, they were they were saying on their podcast that it's on YouTube and then it's not. It's on and then it's not. So like somewhere along the line, Greg Ginn is probably spending his time making sure this thing gets taken off of YouTube. I would assume. That makes me sad, man. Because yeah. I, I I still, despite all these like you know, you hear these stories about Greg Ginn and, and you, you want to think he's a cool guy because I. To me, I think he's a genius. In my opinion, Greg Ginn is like, he's like, you know, Jimi Hendrix to me. You know, he's he's a genius musically, and I think that um, even like the guy had in a, in that Reality '86 film, there's a thing where he rigged some scenario up where he was playing his guitar through like a, a keyboard synthesizer or something. And right. The guy's a he's a well, you know a one of a kind sort of creative force in my opinion, and uh, it sucks that. You just you hear time and time again all these terrible stories about him, and uh, it just makes me sad. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I mean, you know, it's one of my favorite bands, and for for it to ended to end like it ended and continue to go the way it's gone is just sad. But the Rollins band, you know, I think was in the beginning a, not so different from Black Flag sonically, but then. As time went on, they morphed into completely their own their own sort of uh, you know identity. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and in the early days, you know, Henry was like, oh yeah, the 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 last Black Flag singer, the guy that was reviled by a lot of people, you know, going out right. on his own. And um, I think as time went on, especially during the end of the '90s, a lot of people didn't even know that he was in Black Flag. I I mean, oddly enough, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, the Rollins band had become its own thing. They started to get you know, bigger, play yeah. Lollapalooza, sign to a major. This new group of fans come in that have no clue. There's know? the I'm a, I'm a Liar, the Liar video came out. Right, on MTV in, in heavy rotation, I believe. Yeah. So, and yeah. People had no idea. It was like fans of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Beastie Boys were, were being exposed to Henry Rollins and the Rollins Band, and they had that context, and they weren't necessarily people that – had seen Black Flag play at, you know, small clubs or whatever, you know, DIY venues. Right. People had seen, you know, Rollins on Lollapalooza, you know. Right. But this, the hard volume was that early period where it was like nonstop touring on their own, playing in front of small houses for the most part, and uh, records made on these like shoestring budgets. And it was just, I mean, if you think about it for a minute, you got this band, Black Flag, who you know was a successful band. Like they were, you know, touring relentlessly. That ends. You put all your you put all of your eggs into this basket. You're like go all in. You go deep. 
you're the one guy who doesn't quit the band or get thrown out. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. Right? You you push hard, and suddenly it all comes to an end. You know, you're going like a million miles an hour, and then you're going zero miles an hour, and you're right. in a dead, dead stop. So what happens? Do you go get a job at McDonald's, you know, or do you, like, you know, go back to school? You know, you remember that back in, like, when, when we were younger? It's like, you know, you're in your early 20s, you're touring, you're doing bands, you're, like, trying to make that shit real. Then your band breaks up, and then one guy sells all of his gear, and he's like, oh, I'm going back to school, man, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then there's, like, the guys who don't, and then there's, like, and that's what I mean. Rollins is one of those guys. He's like, this is what I my this is what I'm doing with my life. So, what's the next thing? Yeah, he's not going back to Hagen does. No, you know, <laughs> what's the next thing? And then that's what the Rollins band became. Right. You know, and um, out of all the records, this one I think really sits high on my list because of, uh, you know, lyrically I think. Yeah, uh, there's the, the the sort of traditional, you know, angsty lyrics that you know he he writes typically. But I think some of this, these songs have like a very raw emotional like feel to them, you know. And uh, and this this is my preference over Lifetime, which yeah. a lot of people cite as their favorite Life uh, Rollins band record. I will say Lifetime, Hard Volume, and End of Silence to me are all pretty much perfect records. Um. This definitely has a little more of what I like about the Rollins band with the uh, the longer bluesy Swans jams, you know. Lifetime doesn't have as much of that. It has a few of those on there, which is good. But uh, I, yeah, I bet you this probably isn't most Rollins band fans' favorite album. But I think it's a great one. Yeah, I mean, the uh, Turn Inside Out and Down and Away are like pretty pretty much the anthems on this record you know what i mean and then there's a song i feel like this which literally that was the whole lyrics of the song but it's the delivery that it's like you're sitting there alone in your room man you have like the fucking lights off and you're listening to the song and you're like i feel like this and you understand exactly what this motherfucker means because you're feeling a certain way that makes you feel like this and that's what I'm talking about on this record, man. Like, you cannot deny some of the emotions on it. You understand what this is. Yeah. You know? And are those, like, your favorite tracks from the record? Those are my three favorite tracks on the record. It's funny, because a lot of times we have at least one of the same tracks. Mine are Planet Joe and Turned Inside Out. Yeah, Turned Inside Out is incredible, that, that song. On a personal note, you know, when I got into Black Flag and Rollins Band in the 80s, you know, I was in high school, then I went into college, and, you know, there's, like, the typical, like, shit you go through where you're, like, you know, breaking up with girls and things don't quite, you know, but nothing nothing really heavy happens to you, for at least for me, in those years, those late teens. When you join the adult world and you have to, like, make your own way, that's when the shit gets hard. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you can't wait you, to get there until you get there. That's when you understand loss. And especially when you try to do something that might be a little bit outside of, of the norm. You know what I mean? Like I you know, I went to college. By the time I was 21, up until the time I was 21, I thought I was going to lead like a regular life. I thought I was going to like, you know, get married, 
have you know regular job you know give up all this crazy shit that i was doing and then you know that's it die <laughs> you know <laughs> maybe have a couple kids and that's it and then death you know the, the abyss but um I, th- I went through a period when I just was completely fucking unhappy, man, and I just needed to do other things. And that coincided with the girlfriend leaving me and everything that I had worked for, worked towards having a life in, in Boston, actually, of all places, had been a complete fucking waste of my time. And right. so I was stuck in this m- miserable city, Boston, Massachusetts, I'll second no, that. Yeah, second with that. fucking just left there. You know what I mean? I, I wasn't going to go, you know, my, my family lives outside of New York. And eventually I did move back to, you know, the New York metropolitan area. But I lived in Boston for a number of years. And, you know, I had this fucking basement apartment. I was living by myself. I was in right outside of, of uh, uh, Fenway Park, you know, that area. Or Fenway yeah. Square. Uh, was it? Uh, Kenmore Square. Yeah. 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 On Beacon Street. Basement apartment. I worked at a fucking copy center, you know what I mean? And <laughs> it was shitty. It sucked. Didn't really know anyone there. And this record was one of the, I think, five CDs I had brought with me before I'd set up my full camp there, you know what I mean? Yep. And I just remember like listening to those songs I mentioned and sitting in this fucking apartment by myself day after day, getting up going to this shitty job and fucking enduring all of that. And that's kind of like why this record and these songs, I think, are very important to me. Well, this, I mean, this record is is like the perfect record when you're down like that to crawl inside of because it just exudes that vibe that you're talking about of just like frustration and, you know, sort of failure, and just despair. This record is full of that. So, like, going through stuff like that, having this record to, like, lose yourself in, I don't know if it was a positive thing for you, but <laughs> I could see where it, it would help you get through to the next day, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was positive because it kept you going, you know? Right. It's just, like, one of those things where it's, like, you know, you're at this wall. It's, like, you can either go forward over the wall or you can go back, and then you got to eventually go over that wall anyway, you right. know what I mean? And um, and that's what a lot of Rollins' music over the years has provided for me. But as a pure listening experience, this one, I think I ran this record more regularly during that period of time um, just because of, like, songs like I just mentioned, like, I Feel Like This, Turned Inside Out, you know, Down and Away. Those are, like, Down and Away, you know, it was like, if, if you break, if you get dumped by a girl, that's the song to listen to, man. You know <laughs> well... I mean? And on uh, one of these, I think it was the, the 1999 uh, reissue, the remaster with some of the bonus stuff, there's a song called Thin Air. Yeah. Which uh, is one of my favorites. doesn't appear in the original album, but I don't think that song turned up anywhere else. No. On a release, so, did either. it? No, not to my knowledge. Um, yeah, I thought I, that song I also like a lot. I, I mean, I like every song on the record. Yeah, Down Away has the classic line, the closer I get, the farther away you feel, repeated over and over again. And it's just like the best, you know. Um, Yeah, some of the remasters, though they did take out the 32-minute jam, have some pretty cool stuff. There's like session outtakes, uh, you know, tearing, which ended up on on End of Silence. Yes. 
Uh, you didn't need. End of silence. Also ended on silence. End of silence. Ghost Rider, which is like the uh, the suicide song. Yep. Cover. That's popped up live versions of it. Yeah. And there's been that's been around. That's been kicking around for a while. You know, I think one of the times I saw Rollins Band play, they did that song. Yeah. Live, which was cool. I believe that's on another release. Well, there's a slow version. Oh, right, and then there's right. Like, there's a couple. That's what I mean. There's like yeah, a yeah, couple yeah. of different versions of that song out there. Yeah, he ended up working with uh, guys from Suicide uh, on his label later down the road, I believe, as well. And then the, the July 88 demo, What Have I Got, Thin Air, which you just mentioned, and a demo of Down and Away. Yes. So I recommend getting both versions of this record. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, for the completest. Yeah. I mean, shit, man. I've I've owned... I don't know, four versions of Paranoid by Black Sabbath. <laughs> I have the LP, the cassette tape, the CD, and I also have like the black box, like first four, yes, like box set. Yep. So I, I bought the same goddamn record four times, basically. Yeah, I don't even want to discuss how many times I've done that with movies and records, buying the same <laughs> record. It's ridiculous. You know, bootlegs, you know, all yep. this stuff. So, but but if you're out there, you like this record, definitely get both versions if you can find them out there. Yeah. Now that leads to another question. It's like the availability of the Rollins band material. Well, yeah. And to go back to where we started a little bit, you brought up it was originally released on Texas Hotel, and I know we've Texas Hotel has popped up on our conversations yeah, before, eggs. and we were like. What the fuck, you know, never heard of any of this other shit. So I did a little research on Texas Hotel today. I guess uh, that label existed from the mid-80s to the mid-90s, based out of Santa Monica, California, mainly releasing records by Rollins, Henry Rollins, the Rollins Band, and the other notable artist that was on the label was Vic Chestnut. Oh, no way, really? He he released, like, a ton of records. But their discography, they have, like, 70-something releases, Besides the Rollins connections and Vic Chestnut, I don't know who anybody else is. I guess they were on the verge at one point of releasing a Mike Michael Stipe rec, uh, solo record. Um, and they were, here's a funny fact. They were voted hot record label in 1989 by Rolling Stone magazine. Weird. No, you know, no offense to Rolling Stone, but maybe they don't know what the fuck they're talking about over at Rolling Stone sometimes. But that just goes to show you about like the Rollins band. Like, it wasn't, they weren't, I mean, you know, what did I know back then? But Texas Hotel, that wasn't something that was even on my radar. No, me neither. You know, and they weren't on some cool label. They weren't on AMREP. They weren't on, you know, uh, you know, Touch and Go, even though Rollins did work with Quarterstick on something. Yeah, that was like one of the offshoot EPs yeah. or something like that. But you're right, none of the albums were on like any of the cool sub pop or any of the cool labels of that time. Yeah, it, it was just out there doing these things like by will, by sheer will, really. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And, you know, by all accounts that I've read, those early, although they toured and toured and toured, there wasn't a lot of money being made no. in the early days of the Rollins band. You know, and a lot of people have come on board during that major label era, like with, um, like we were talking about End of Silence, which is a great album. But that's when the publishing money showed up, and that's when like the advances and the big tour opportunities came. Right. And a lot of people didn't realize that there were years before that, just by sheer force of will, the band existed. 
you know, working with these obscure labels that, you know, I mean, it's hard enough back then without the internet to even have anyone know that you, your band exists. You know? Yeah, back then? Oh, yeah. 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 And, and then furthermore, to be on something like Texas Hotel, which, you know, even though Rolling Stone <laughs> cited it as being hot label of the year or whatever, like, I never fucking heard of them until, like, I, I got that Rollins Band record, you know? I used to bury myself in, like, you know, music magazines, like, especially stuff related to, you know, punk or underground shit or metal Fuck, I could tell you anything about Texas Hotel. I had no idea. You know, and back then, very even even more so, I think, at that age, you associate bands with labels, too. You know, there's like, oh, yeah, you know, Entombed is an Eric band, you know. Right. Um, you know, Neurosis back then, you know, in the early days were an alternative tentacles band. You know, but Rollins' band wasn't one of the, a band like, oh, yeah, they're like a whatever band. They're just a fucking band out there right. trying to do it, you know. Um. Well, Texas Hotel ended up folding in 1996. <laughs> I was like, 1996? Like, that's way longer than I thought they would have lasted. But yeah. yeah. I, I would have sworn they did something with the Chromags. Oh, you're thinking of Rock Hotel. I'm thinking of Rock. See, there you go. See, yeah. maybe I'd never. That's it. See, two yeah. names very similar. <laughs> you yeah. know, another just obscurity, you yeah. know. And uh, the release of the reissue that came out in the late 90s with Buddha. That's not the the version I have. I have the two thirteen sixty one version, but it's basically the same record, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I I need to rebuy a vinyl copy of this because I I sold my whole collection years ago. It's one of the things I haven't replaced yet. Yeah, I have this on three format. Well, I have two CDs and the vinyl. Yeah, and you know, happily because they're all different. Really, sure. Yeah, which is cool. But I. Uh, Another thing, real quick about 213, it's like, it's funny because last night I actually went to the 213.61 store, and there's like hardly anything available. <laughs> I know, it's, uh, it used to be better. It used to have everything. You I used, used to be able yeah, to buy all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I bought a shirt, I bought a Lifetime shirt from there. I mean, yeah, there's all kinds. Of, I bought the, uh, which we both talked about this a lot too, is the uh, End of Silence demos. Oh, yeah. Which is incredible. They're they're almost better than the than the actual <laughs> record, I think. Yeah, I got the double disc with all the the extra shit on there. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of disappointing. There's like bare bones and like uh, none of this stuff. I mean, I guess at '99 this was reissued CD, um, and Lifetime has been reissued recently. I think with help from Discord, although it's not on Discord, I feel like they had a hand in it somehow. Hmm. But like uh, Hot Animal Machine. Um, hard volume, the live records, uh, you know, turned on. All that stuff needs to be reissued. I, exactly, you know, and um, that's why that's what I said. I was mentioning earlier about the availability of this stuff. Right. You know, it's like um, two thirteen. They put out. I it once you know sadness because like I saw what he was trying to do with that, and I thought that was fucking awesome. You know, right. The, the the publishing company. You know, I mean, Rollins still puts out his own his own books, which are. The money makers, obviously. People, you know, buy them, they read them. They're great. I love them. I read all of them. All of his books I've read. Yeah. Straight I'll, up. I love them too. Um, what I thought was really cool is when he was putting out all this other stuff by Alan Vega. He put out the Jeffrey Lee Pierce uh, Tell the Mountain lyric book. And, uh, you know, there's like stuff like that. Recordings he put out, you know, the Chris Haskett solo record, 
reissues of all the old Rollins material with the demos right. and all this other, you know, Extras. you know, I think he put out like a P funk record or something like that, you know? Right. Um, and th- then nothing. And, and that, that kind of is a, is a drag, I think, you know, that like there wasn't enough interest, I guess, to keep things rolling. Yeah. It'd be, it's interesting too. with like the licensing and who owns these records at like the Texas hotel company, like what do they own? And even there's no, you know, vinyl has made a huge comeback. There's, there's no vinyl version of end of silence. Uh, I know he did a end of silence, end of silence demos vinyl through, yeah. you know, uh, his label, but. There's no like end of silence. Like there should be a nice double LP you can go buy right now, and there's not. And uh, even on streaming services, uh, I use Apple Music, so that's what I'm familiar with. But uh, these records are not on there. Um, Wait and end of silence. But all these the early records, Lifetime's not on there. Hard volume's not on there. Uh, it, it would be worth checking into to see if he actually there's an issue with like licensing or owning the material or the mechanical rights to those records. I wonder if that's the case because I find it hard to believe that he wouldn't want that stuff to be out there. Well, when I see some of the bullshit reissues that come out, I mean, you know, I just shake my head sometimes like, wow, this is getting reissued. That's I never would have thought about this record again. This stuff needs to be out there, man. I mean, I, I would buy it like another, once again, <laughs> I'd buy <laughs> You buy copy number seven? No, but if they, say, say for example, they put out hard volume reissue remaster uh deluxe package with you know the velvet underground 32 minute jam yes and the other material the demos and outtakes you know that's like a two that's two lps right there yeah pretty much yeah. right you know plus i'm sure they could dig up some other material to fill out the record too i would, I would buy that it's very similar to what uh, i mean a poison idea had done recently with the Feel the Darkness, one of our last episodes. They reissued that, nice double LP, all kinds of extra shit on it. I mean, I gotta be honest, even if they just did a bare bones one LP version of hard volume, I would go buy it. I'd pre-order it right now because I don't have mine anymore. (laughs) I would even venture to say what I I think would be really cool, if if they put out some, why not put out a fucking box set? Yes. Those early records, man. Yep. Including, you know, um, drive-by shooting and, like, all that stuff on there. Just do I mean? everything up till they get signed by a major. Like, yeah. the EPs, the live record, you know, lifetime, hard volume. You know, I think about this stuff runs through my brain, but then again, I wonder, I'm like, are me and you the only two fucking guys who care? You know? You sometimes think I think it? Sometimes I think so. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, like, there's shit out there. But, I mean, then again, all right. Like, Poison Idea, they're a great band, but there's, like, a scene that supports what they do. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they're a punk, they're a punk band. Hardcore right. punk band. Yeah. The Rollins band never was any of those things. There's, there was never, like, a, a scene that they fit into that was, like, supporting what they were doing. No, the lines were definitely not defined. They were a little blurred with the Rollins band. Like, where do they fit? Yeah. You know, and, and like, I remember early, like, the early time, the early shows I've seen in the Rollins band, I was like, the crowd was, like, I felt like a lot of times people just showed up to start trouble, really. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, when you would go see in the late 80s or the early 90s, you'd see other bands 
like say you go see Dag Nasty, you know, it's right. like these like straight edge, like positive kids there. You go see the Rollins band, it was like skinheads, like these like scumbags that just were there to start fights with people, you know. Or yeah, yeah, just like miscreants. You know? Yeah. No, they weren't necessarily fans. They just knew he sang for Black Flag and somewhere to go and, you know, get ripped on a Friday night. And like, yeah. You know, act like a dickhead. So maybe maybe there maybe no one cares. I don't know. I care. <laughs> I mean, like I said, man, I've seen, you've seen some of this shit that gets reissued. Like, I mean, people have to care at least about this shit more than some of this other shit that comes out. I would think. I would hope. I would hope there's. You know, I need some hope that people care about this shit. So I'd be interested to hear people's thoughts about this. Um, am I completely at this late, late stage of my life becoming delusional about what people care about? <laughs> or are there fans out there of the Rollins band and their early material? So if anyone gives a shit, please drop us a line, whichever way. You can do it on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. I know there's a Metal Matters uh, email, but I, I ne- no one ever checks it. So. <laughs> I, maybe I should check it. Maybe there's like some stuff. It's not really my email though. It belongs to Tyler, the uh, the CEO of um, Kimmy Radio. I'd like to think he would forward you any. I don't, maybe he doesn't check it either. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we use it to log into the um, account to you know put all the stuff out for you guys. So uh, it's what we administer the show with. And that's why I never answer the email or look at the email because I don't handle any of the actual behind-the-scenes financial end of this thing coming out every week. So there you go. If you want to talk about this thing, you got to hit us up directly. You know, go straight to the source. Street-level communication. <laughs> Tell us we're wrong. Yeah. But yeah, thanks again for listening. And um, that's Rollins Band Hard Volume, a classic record from the late 80s. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.
Could that be you? Could that be you?